quit and sit. Colin. The peace of Christ be with you. As we gather in this place and we get used to the ongoing gathering that will happen with our compromised parking, I invite you to take about three deep breaths so that you can be fully present here, that you might feel the Spirit's presence holding you in this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. We're going to sing through this intro at once, and then we're going to invite you to join us. So listen carefully so you can learn it. Please rise and body your spirit for the call to worship. Christ calls us to oneness, not to erase difference. Christ calls us to oneness out of truth and understanding. Christ calls us to unity, not out of conflict avoidance. Christ calls us to unity out of recognition of shared purpose and destiny. Thank you, Colin. Our youth lector does have a name. That is Colin. Thank you. I invite you now to join us in hymn number 300.
again, worship, and welcome to worship this morning, and uh, welcome to our awkwardness, which is becoming our new normal of a, <laughs> of a different entrance and moving around the congregation. I like trying to circulate this way when I come in, but it's not always the easiest thing to do. Let's join together in our prayer of uh, community prayer. Let us pray. God, we understand you to be still three and yet one. You are the embodiment of both diversity and unity, of faithful interrelationship and mutuality. Call us to this level of oneness. Forgive us for choosing our own small allegiances, thinking that there is such a thing as oneness. It means to trust God. Call us to courageous speaking out for the sake of truth, knowing the only true unity is enlightened unity. Amen. Our prayers continue in silence. Friends, the Spirit does not ask us to be perfect, but only for us to be willing. In the Spirit, we find restoration, forgiveness, mercy, and encouragement for the living of these days and our journey through this life. And for this, we give thanks. Amen. Not like that, though. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's a lot of empathy. So, okay, that's enough. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, you guys, please don't do that. You're too big. So, all right. <laughs> I, I want to show you some pictures. Um, it's funny. Once, a few years ago, my wife was saying, why don't we have more pictures of you as a child? And not everyone knows this, but my wife knew this. Well, the thing is, my parents are both blind. And so they didn't take a lot of pictures. Because, and what was funny is my mom was legally blind. It means she could see just a little bit. And I think this was really funny, and so did my brother and sister. So all of her pictures were never centered. They were always kind of like that. And then she would cut the edge off the picture and make it smaller. So the pictures I do have are really tiny because she could never quite get us in the middle. And everyone else feels really sad about that, but because I'm her child, I always thought that was funny. Now, because I didn't have a lot of pictures doesn't mean that we don't have a lot of pictures of our children. So I wanted to show you some, because these guys are getting big, but they used to get, they used to be smaller. Yes, Ol? For Baca? Maybe we could show them for Baca a different time of discovery. I'm sure it's somehow <laughs> going to relate Bible here. So this is one of the first pictures of Theo and Sol. They are so small that you can't even see them. There I am holding an egg, and there they are as fertilized eggs in Jen's belly. So they're inside there. That's how small they are. I'm going to show you a different picture. Here, this is, if you were to look inside, this is what you would have found, is this is Theo right here, and this is Sol trying to get in the picture, okay? Seeing that cool? That's inside. You're not? What were you doing? I want to go that way. You just want to go that way. You want to get away from Theo? There's not a lot of room in there. Yeah. Okay. This is another picture of, can you believe that these two little guys are these guys? Do you see how much smaller they are? Which one is which? Well, that's, this is Sol, and this is Theo. You guys see it? fish. looks like a Okay. A beautiful fish is what you meant to say. Okay. And this is the last one I'm going to show you. This is just a couple years ago when we first moved to our house. 
This is their dog, Joey, who they're now taller than when she sits down. But when she used to sit, they weren't quite as tall as Joey. And now you see how much bigger they're getting. And you probably have pictures around your house of when you were smaller, don't you? Yes, I do. You do. And are they, do you like looking at them, or are they a little embarrassing? Yes and no. Some of them are cool. Some of them, like, I always which have to look at, like, like, a few of them, because when I go down the stairs, there's, like, pictures of me uh -huh. and babies hanging on the wall. Now, guess what? Jesus told this story once about something even smaller than you. You might have been this small, but a seed. If you look out at those trees out there, they started as a very, very small thing. But now look at how big they are. And when Jesus told this story about a seed, he said, your faith is like a seed. Now, do you think he meant that you have really itty-bitty tiny faith? No. I wonder what he actually meant by that. Why would he say your faith is like a seed? We are going to find that, find that out. But if you're in 3rd uh, through 5th grade, you're going to hear about why Jesus also told lots of stories. And some of those stories had a very specific lesson. And he'll tell us why he taught us those stories. So, if I could have my middle school friends uh, and leaders meet me at the door, and then we'll have... Wait, wait, just stay here for mo just a second, Liam. And then they will escort us to our class. You go ahead, Kaylin. Go now in peace, go now in peace, may the love of God And so after that, we're going to try and pray. So we'll do this a little differently today. Every now and then we do it differently. And uh, you have uh, cards in your pews and uh, pencils. And what we will ask you to do is to take a moment and to think about someone or a, fr a loved one, uh, a friend, uh, some other situation that you know about that has your concern, that has your heart involved and maybe to write those names down or simply write the name of a situation so that you can focus yourself and then we can focus together on those we wish to hold in prayer. So just take a moment to do that. And I'll ask the uh, ushers to come down the central aisle, and if you could just pass the card that you've uh, written on over to fold it, if you wish. Um, just pass it over to the central aisle, and the ushers will collect those in the baskets. And as they do this, just keep thinking about those that uh, are on your mind and heart and also realizing that everybody else here has folks on their mind and heart as well.
and then Bethany will receive the uh, baskets of prayers. And let's join together in prayer as we hold these prayers in this place. Let's pray. Holy One, there are so many people that are represented here in these baskets that we have had in our minds. So many situations. We ask your presence in each of those situations that you will be there to heal, to join with us in our concern, to restore, to uplift, to give strength. We ask this in the confidence that you are with us and you are with the situations and the people who are in our lives. We ask this in the name of the one who came to be with us and taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Today's first scripture reading is Psalm 27, verses 1 and 4 through 9. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your Lord, your face, Lord, do I speak, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. This is holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading comes from the writings of Paul. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 18. Listen for what the Spirit is continuing to say to us this morning. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified? For you, Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. This was pre-word processors, so you kind of edit as you go, <laughs> apparently. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. And not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. That opening hymn that we sang, We Are One in the Spirit, for me, carries such deep emotional ties. I don't know if you grew up with it, but I did. And it conjures memories of singing it accompanied by guitar, uh, either at a church retreat or at my summer camp's outdoor chapel in the woods overlooking a river. And I can still, still feel what it felt like to sing that song in those settings. And in those moments, it felt as realistic as it was idealistic that they would really know who we were by our love and that we would really be that unified in that love. What happened? And all the data says that when you ask non-Christians what they think of Christians, um, let's put it this way, they don't start by saying, well, we, we can recognize them by their love. And we don't have to look very far to find division within the Christian household. Uh, You think of what's happening in the Methodist church right now. They're about to split over sexuality. And we've had plenty of our own struggles. And each form of Christianity has theirs. What happened? Was I just naive, swept over by emotion of the moment? Oh, I know these are lyrics. This is the language of poetry and of song. And, and so they're often grasping rather than rooted in reality. But to me, the, the distance between what I want to be and what is, and my guess is what you want to be and what is, 
that distance exposes a fundamental yearning of humanity, a yearning that I think we share to be one, to be together. When Paul writes to his communities that he cares about, you can see he's pained by the brokenness he sees in them. Now, you have to remember, anytime we're reading scripture, we're reading other people's mail, okay? And, and not only that, we're reading one half or most likely less than one half of the conversation in people's mail. So we don't entirely know what's going on at any given moment, but it's clear that some of the communities that Paul cared about were fractured. And the pain that he feels over that is the purest sign of love. I mean, we can relate to this. When we th- see things and people we love coming apart, it hurts us too because we love them. If we've had that kind of fracture in family, we know how deeply it cuts. When uh, we might feel uh, a once close friendship come apart, the pain is a sign of our love. When our communities are torn apart over different matters, uh, the, the pain is because we love the place we live. I don't think I have to spend too much time talking about the division in our country. In fact, I think sometimes we just say it over and over again. We only exacerbate it. And I don't know about you, but I'm so weary of it. I'm just so weary. Paul is brokenhearted because what he loves is coming apart. Now, not all the divisions we feel are as heavy as some of the ones I just mentioned. Some of them are small, even trivial, trivial, you could say, but they're worth attending to as well because actually they have an impact on our communal life too and our well-being. Uh, my wife and I were at a, um, at a fundraiser this fall. You know, the public schools have to do these fundraisers so they can afford art and music and so they do these events where they call it a lapathon, where they have the kids go outside on a field and they and they run laps around and they blare music and have all kinds of snacks and and parents come for these great photo opportunities which are fantastic when your kids little and so we were there uh, this fall on a beautiful day and you can imagine the kind of volunteers it takes to pull such an event off. But in the midst of that otherwise sort of lighthearted day, I have to say I had this sort of strange experience. It just didn't feel quite right. The lead volunteers, and God bless them for giving of their time to pull this thing off. But they all, or at least a bunch of them, showed up in these, um, these coordinated outfits. They were uh, little rainbow tutus, or multicolored tutus, and, and high socks, kind of of the same coloring, and, and the hair, either dyed or wigs, that had the same thing. And they're kind of prancing around in those. I mean, I think I would have looked fine in that personally. But, <laughs> but no one told me about the dress code. And maybe there was a meaning to all of it, and I just didn't read one of the emails. I mean, that's totally possible. But the feeling was the rest of us kind of weren't let in on that. Yeah, harmless, right? Innocuous. But you know what it felt like? It felt like it felt like when I was in school and there were all those cliques of which were the cool kids and which weren't the cool kids and who got to belong and who was let in on what to wear on what day kind of thing, right? And I thought to myself, why take the time to embody this for our children? Is this the community we want to be creating? Totally unintentional, I'm sure. But I thought, gosh, think of all the times we go to unnecessary lengths to send these little signals to each other that say, oh, you're not part of this. And, and you're not in with that. And ultimately, we don't really belong to each other. Now, trivial. Probably not even worth mentioning. But I think it's triviality is telling. Because all the little ways, not just the big ways, we pay attention to the big ways, but all the little ways we're kind of building uh, these cracks between us. And maybe those cracks start to contribute to the bigger cracks between us. Well, as I alluded to earlier, we're not entirely sure what drove Paul to reach out to the Corinthians, but something compelled him to reach out to them and ask for their unity, plead for their unity. I wonder what he was after. 
What was that? Was he, uh, like the young me, just naive and new in this movement and having not yet experienced the real world, whatever that is, where oneness doesn't last? Converts often carry that kind of fervor. I don't think so, because Paul had actually been, prior to, uh, to being a convert, he was a persecutor of this new movement. So maybe what it was is he'd had a taste of that life of violent persecution of telling the other how bad they are and that they needed to be like him. And he felt how that corrodes from within. And he didn't like that feeling anymore. And he didn't want them to, to have to go through it before they learned. And so he begged for their unity. What was he after? Well, it's often hard to know what Paul's after, uh, if we're honest. But sometimes it's easier to home in on it by looking at what he clearly wasn't after and what he wasn't about. Well, the first thing he clearly wasn't about was the suppression of difference. Now, this isn't just modern sensibilities about diversity coming in. This is plain in the text. If you look elsewhere, uh, what what is the most memorable image that Paul uses for the people of God? The body of Christ. The body which is made up of different parts, different form, different function. And the difference isn't the obstacle the body has to overcome. The difference is the necessity. The difference is what the body needs in order to function and thrive and live well. So he's not about suppressing difference. Elsewhere, Paul and others who write in Paul's name uh, talk about spiritual gifts and how the spirit gives each of us different gifts all for the building up of community. So it's not about getting rid of that or pushing any of those down. Similarly, it's not then therefore about uniformity. And people get this wrong all the time with Paul. They think he's rigid and he wants everybody to be a certain way, but just read the texts. Paul gave his life so that people who didn't follow the law, who grew up in a different tradition, could be allowed into the movement. He gave his life so that people could be included without having to act uniformly. It wasn't about uniformity. What was going on? What did Paul care about? Wait, you say. Uh, He says, I want you to all be in agreement. I want you to all have the same mind. Now, how many of us have ever been in a relationship or a community or a group or a team where everybody agreed all the time? If you have, start running workshops and charging lots of money. Do we think he meant agreeing on every little matter? Maybe. Or could it mean the agreement was rooted in something deeper? Be in agreement on your purpose for being together and what it is you are striving toward as one body. And that will keep all your differences working toward the same goal. Be of the same mind? Does he want us all to be groupthink, lockstep, just uh, unthinking in our uh, discipleship? Or maybe another way to think of it was be on the same page. Be about the same thing, knowing that you may get there a little bit differently and you may push and pull on one another, but be on the same page, headed toward the same thing. It's interesting that Paul uh, uses certain images uh, to lift up unity. In a minute, I'll talk about the, the one he uses the most, which is baptism. But here, thankfully, we're given a little insight into what it is uh, that Paul is wrestling with here, the particular struggle that he's encountered in the Corinthians. He says this, I'll just remind you. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people. Well, there's proof enough, by the way, if you were wondering, that there were women leaders in the early church, okay? There was Chloe, she was a woman, and she had people, okay? (laughs) Reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas. Who's Cephas, by the way? Peter. Or I belong to Christ. Was Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What's going on here is the early Christians have placed their allegiance too low. Forgetting who it is they're supposed to be teaching about. 
And so they formed these camps. I like this teacher, I like that teacher, and they've forgotten to look above their teacher. And before we get too judgmental, let's remind ourselves that we church shop around here, too. (laughs) But one should pick their teacher based on how well that teacher points above themselves, not at themselves. He's not criticizing the role of different teachers. He's criticizing where they stake their ultimate claim, their ultimate loyalty, their ultimate allegiance. In fact, he lifts up the value of different teachers. Just a few verses earlier, he uses this gorgeous agricultural metaphor. I planted, Apollos watered, but he remembers that God made the growth. That's in 1 Corinthians 3.6. That's actually later. Forgive my chronology. But all of it's contained in this unified body, this unified purpose. And this is where the image that I mentioned earlier comes in. Baptism. In baptism, you find this ultimate unity that holds you together. Remember how he describes baptism. He says this in another book. As many of you who were baptized into Christ, clothe yourselves in Christ. And so guess what? There's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So you may be moved by Paul or Apollos or Bethany, but you belong together in Christ. There's a brilliant spiritual woman who who brings this home for me. It's... uh, in kind of a difficult way, but if you hang with her, it, it really sinks in. Uh, her name is Ilio Delio, Delia. Her name is in the bulletin if you want to look her up. And she represents this gorgeous merger of science and spirituality. And, and she speaks, and I'll share a little bit in a moment, about baptism as the heart of that. She uh, is trained in, in both fields. She has a Ph.D. in pharmacology and a Ph.D. in historical theology. She's a a sister in the Franciscan order. And she runs what's called the Omega Institute, which carries forward the work of another person who embodies these two streams, Teilhard de Chardin. Teilhard was a priest and also a paleontologist. And she carries his work forward. His work was uh, around the notion that humanity as a species is evolving toward a new and unified consciousness. That there is a greater oneness on the horizon that we are evolving toward. And the mature spiritual person learns to recognize and to step into and live into that greater unity in the midst of all the difference around us. And for Delia, she sees that rooted in baptism. So she says when Jesus was baptized and he comes out of the waters, out of the symbolic death of baptism, he emerges as what's called in Aramaic the Ihidaya, which Delia says was one of the earliest uh, titles given to Jesus by some communities. They, knowed, they, they, they knew him by the, by the title Ihidaya, which means the unified one. Now, not the unified one in the sense of he was agreeing with everybody all the time. Jesus loved to pick fights with people, it seemed. But unified one in the sense of singular in focus. Not narrow necessarily, but singular. She says another word for it is the enlightened one. Jesus emerges from baptism enlightened. Enlightenment being a state of the heart. A heart of singularity in focus in total alignment. And she says, the alignment that he had and that we are called to seek out is the alignment with what she calls the field of resonant, a resonant yearning. The field of resonant yearning, mutual yearning. She doesn't say the goal is to become aligned with God. Actually, she does says, say that. She's just not using the word God but the field of resonant mutual yearning. Now, what on earth does that mean, and why am I telling you about it? The point is that at the heart of all things, we yearn for the same thing. 
or the same set of things. Remember a couple weeks back when we had our guest talk about nonviolent communication? And she said, at the heart of any communication, behind it is the expression of a felt need. It doesn't matter how aggressive the comment is or, this, or how maybe mean-spirited sound or wounded or angry or whatever or funny. Beneath it is a need that's trying to come out. And the point is to recognize the need in the other so that you can truly listen for it around all the other stuff that gets in the way. So Delia is talking about finding that place of deep human yearning. And we all share it. And the goal is to try to access it. Now, I think... Let me, let me give you another example if it's still hard to get a hold of. Another word for finding the, the, the field of, of mutual uh, resonant yearning is spirit. You ever been on a, a, on a team or in a group at work or maybe in a family or on a project where everybody was yearning for the same thing? And you had that feeling. I mean, you still are you, but you're connected to this thing. I, I mean, you can think of simple examples. In a couple hours, I'll be at my son's soccer game. And, uh, and, and they will be of one yearning. Win, get a Slurpee, right? <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? But it's a beautiful thing to watch. These kids who otherwise can't get to do much will, like, move as this unit, usually a blob, but for the same, for the same purpose, right? You've had that feeling. Whenever you've had that feeling, it might, Christians might say, oh, spirit is here because we're aligned, so the goal is to find that place where we're aligned and our, our yearnings are lined up. It's easy to say, well, then we just have to get on the same page and we have to yearn for the same thing. And we work to overcome our differences all the time, but it seems like we just spin and spin and spin and we never get anywhere because I think we've missed a step and this is where I'll close. We spend all our trying to fig- time trying to figure out the other and we have no idea what's going on in here. Maybe I'm speaking for myself, not you. And today, more than any other day, we have all the options in the world to distract us from actually listening to what's happening in here. And when we're not in touch with the yearnings of our own hearts, our grief, our rage, our joy, our hopes, our fears, when we have no sense of what the internal landscape of yearning looks like, we can't dare try to find someone else in their landscape. And so our task is to find ways each and every day to let those voices come out that we might become familiar with that territory in ourselves. Therefore, meet others there as well. So the question is not how can I get along with my neighbor. It's how can I get along with what's going on in here. The question is for me is have I lost a sense of what it felt like to sing this hymn? And how, what it felt like to believe it was possible. Have I lost touch with that yearning within me? And have you? You know, you know why this hymn was written? It's right there. You could have read it while you were bored during the sermon. That's a note to self for future times. They just tell the stories right at the bottom. It was uh, written by a local priest at St. Brendan's on the south side of Chicago in the 1960s a parish that was deeply involved in the civil rights movement. And the priest wanted a a piece for the youth choir to sing at ecumenical and interfaith gatherings um, that were working together for that same goal, and he couldn't find a single piece. So he wrote his own in one day. And that's the hymn that we have. Because I think what he realized was that our yearning for unity our yearning to be a living embodiment of love was enough. It was enough to hold on to until that one day when we will evolve in our consciousness and our unity really will one day be restored. Amen.
You may be seated. So I do encourage you to look at all of the announcements in the bulletin of what is coming up here in the life of the church. Just to highlight a couple for you. Following worship today, Jordan Decker is going to be with us. You may remember almost exactly a year ago, Jordan was here. He preached and then he told us about Trans Heartline, which is a nonprofit he was starting. It's a residence, a community for people who have under, undergone gender confirmation surgery. So it's been a year now, and he's going to be back with us to tell, give us a little update about what's happening with Trans Heartline. He actually right now is up the road at Community Congregational Church preaching. And he's going to finish there at 11 and come here. So probably about 11.15, that'll, that'll begin. So I do invite you to hang out, get some coffee and tea in the back, um, you know, ch chit-chat with each other. And then about 11.15, Jordan will begin in here. Next week, following worship, right at 11, is our annual congregational meeting. Uh, you certainly are invited to attend that. We'll go over the budget. We'll vote on new church officers and a few other things. If you want to see the budget that the session has approved, there are some hard copies over on the table there. It's also posted um, on our website, so you can see it there. But I do invite you to our congregational meeting next week. Our women's retreat is coming. It's going to be March 13th and 14th. This is our third annual. Registration forms are also over there on the table. So if you're interested in being a part of that re women's retreat, um, you're invited to take a registration form for more details. And finally, it's been just about a month now that construction has been underway. So I think most of you are now sort of familiar with our new routines. But in case this is the first time you've joined us this month, a couple of details You'll notice, I think daily, we're losing parking spaces out there. Uh, so I do invite you, if you are feeling vigorous on any given morning, you're welcome to park down the street and walk. You're also welcome to park even over at the Strawberry Point School, and there's a beautiful path along the bay um, that you can get here. Um, I've seen people biking to church, but just to be aware that our parking is becoming very limited out there. Our restrooms are out around the corner. Um, the ones up on the trailer, the white ones, do have running water and sinks and everything. Um, and then the gray one there is um, accessible for everyone if steps aren't good for you. But that is where you will find the restrooms. And I'm just going to check my notes to make sure I haven't forgotten anything. I think uh, if you have kids in Sunday school, that's the last thing. Um, they're in the preschool building, so you can just go out down the parking lot and you can um, find your kids in the preschool building. And as always, you know, if you have questions, definitely find Rob or me or Ted. We'll certainly be willing to answer any of your questions. All right, with that, I invite you to stand for our closing hymn. It's number 314.
again, a special thanks to, to Ruthie. Fifteen minutes before the 8.30 service, we learned our musician had canceled for the day. And uh, the fact that people may not have noticed says a lot about you. So, thank you. If you want an assignment for the week, and who doesn't want an assignment for the week? Find some way each and every day to be in touch with what's happening in here and let it out there. And may God go with you in that blessed assignment. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of all of us, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit go with you in that sacred assignment. Amen. Amen.